0: Hi, I'm Steve Duke, and this is the Two Roads Podcast. On this podcast, we share information to try and help you figure out what it is that you want to do with your life, and then to make that life a reality. Before I get into today's show, I want to tell you about our Instagram account, which I just started like a week ago. I've got a grand total of, I think, 62 followers right now, so it's really taken off. But what I'm doing on there is sharing lots of content to help you with this mission of trying to figure out what it is that you want to do and sharing my own journey along the way. So I'll have clips from this podcast and the people that I interview, but I'm also creating my own content about the different types of exercises and things that I'm doing to help figure out what it is that I want to do. So go and give us a follow. It's at two roads pod on Instagram, and maybe you might just be my 63rd follower. So today on the show, I had Samantha Brett. So I know Samantha for about a year uh, where because I started training in the gym that she works at in Bondi. And she is a yoga teacher and a fitness coach in Sydney. And so in this episode, we go deep into what it's like to actually work in the health and wellness industry. We talk about how she got into it, how she moved from Canada to Australia, why she loves the industry so much and what she thinks it takes to be a really good coach as well. We also go into some of the nitty-gritty details around how much you can get paid as a coach and as a yoga teacher, what that's like when you're starting off versus what it can maybe grow to um, as you get a bit more experienced, and also other different types of things that you can do to generate income for yourself when working in the industry. So Sam is someone who I think has built a life that allows her to do all of the things that she really wants to do. She actually says that herself during the chat that we had. And she's also got great balance and seems that she has real meaning and purpose in the work that she does, which I think is fantastic. And you can see how excited and passionate she gets when she talks about the work that she does. She's also just a very kind and caring human being and somebody that is really just a pleasure to talk to. So anyway, let's not fuck around for any longer and let's get into my conversation with Samantha Brett. Okay, Sam, first question. How do you describe what you do?
1: Um... Great question. I, I do several different things. So I work in, in the wellness industry as a personal trainer and coach. I work as a yoga teacher and I also run um, yoga retreats and workshops and things like that. So it's a it's a hybrid of working with people and for people and for myself. Um, yeah.
0: Okay. Um, and I had you on because I really want to unpack all the different parts of that because there are several different parts as you're talking about and um, but I'm interested like when you were when you were a kid growing up was there anything that when you look back you go oh that makes sense to me as a kid that I ended up doing these kinds of job based on what you were like as a child or the types of stuff that you enjoyed
1: um I've I've always been really athletic in my like childhood but I was I was An individual who I did a pretty decent job at a lot of things, but I never stayed in anything long enough to like particularly excel. Like I was, you know, quite better than average, probably in, in everything, but not exceptional at anything. Um, and yeah, I just always loved fitness and movement and, and wellness and yoga kind of came as a compliment to more active things. I just, my body was always really stiff and I was not very mobile. And I was like, oh, this yoga thing might help. Um, which obviously, yoga is know, more than that, but that's how I, I got into it. I got curious about it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, right. And so, what is that story then of kind of you growing up? You grew up in Canada, right?
1: Yeah, I grew up in uh, just outside of Toronto. So, in a smaller town, about an hour outside of Toronto.
0: Okay. And so what's the story from kind of you going up like going to school to then where you are now? I know that's obviously it a lot has happened in like that period, but like how do you kind of summarize those that path and like the different steps along the way?
1: So when I finished school, I went I took a year off and went to and went and moved to the mountains and went to Banff and just went snowboarding for a year. And Banff is a really cool place, but it's also Some place where you could kind of get stuck and then just wake up and be like 50. You're like, oh, wow, I've just been snowboarding and partying. Um, So I lived there for about a year, but it was was really cool. And then I came back, and the expectation from society is always go to school. So I went to school um, for, like, psychology for, I think, a year. And I had no interest in it, but it was just what everyone was doing, so I went. And then when I was there, I was like, I don't have any interest in studying this which now is interesting, because I would like to study that. Um, so I left that and took a bit of time off and thought about what I wanted. And I went and did a like a fitness diploma. So it was like a two year program on fitness and health. And while I did that, I did my, my personal training certification and my yoga teacher training at the same time to fund all of that. So my parents never kind of had the opportunity to pay for my education so to fund all of this i worked in hospitality which is relatively lucrative when you're young like you make a fair bit of money to pay for education but also pay for whatever else it is that you'd want to do um and it became a means all along my my younger years i probably worked in hospitality for like 10 years um to fund all of these things that i wanted to do whether it be traveling or you know continuing education and things like that
0: yeah right and so like you were doing a psychology degree initially and you knew it wasn't for you but then you were interested in the fitness side of things what was it that made you realize that you were interested in that
1: well it's just um it was a fitness and health program and I think what was interesting is just I really enjoyed that and I enjoyed how like, I feel like I struggled with, um, say, my confidence and self-esteem and all of those things that people do when they're young. And through a training environment, I started to um, get more comfortable with myself and, and learn. And um, it was really good. So I wanted to then be able to share that or learn more about it so that I could potentially share that. And that's sort of, yeah, what I did there. And then when I did those courses is around the time a couple of years earlier so I did the courses and then I worked a little bit in the industry and then I moved to Australia and when I moved to Australia I just worked in hospitality because I didn't know how long I was going to be here for and then I was in a sponsored role in a restaurant um, management role which was awful Um, but so I I had to stay in that role for a little while because I was sponsored. And then once my sponsorship came through, then I could go back to working in fitness and health and yoga. So that was like nine years ago that I moved here. But yeah, so then since like say 2017 is when I've been doing the yoga and the fitness in Sydney.
0: Why did you initially move to Australia?
1: Great question. Um, Change. I think I I was in a role. I was in a PT role in Toronto that was good, but... It didn't. Sorry, it was good financially, um, but it wasn't. It didn't resonate with my values, which is often how the industry goes. Um, So I just decided that if I didn't change things now, and it didn't need to be moving to Australia, but I just thought, why don't I just shake things up? And Australia is easy to move to, as in, yes, it's far away, but it's in the Commonwealth. We speak the same language. There's not. You know, the culture is very similar to Canada. You just get on a plane and the climate's different. But otherwise. um, So, yeah, then I moved here and just haven't really left.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Um, I ended up in the same boat. So I think a lot of people have as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's pretty good here.
0: It's awesome. Um, But I do want to pick up on that when you're saying like um, the job that you had in Canada was like, financially lucrative but it didn't align with your values what do you mean by that what are the values that it didn't align with
1: okay um so let's see there's in the fitness industry the movement industry there's like hmm how do I put this i trying to be too offensive
0: it's okay I think you can be offensive
1: <laughs> I can be offensive okay there's there's really poor quality training out there Which is just like, you know, people perceive that if they are worked really hard, like their heart rate is elevated, they're sweating, they it was high intensity. That that's uh, the definition of a good workout, and it could be. Like that's not to say there is no place for any high intensity or plyometric work, but training, you're you're trying to think about the longevity of the body, and some sessions are going to have more intensity and. Um yeah, I just a lot of the training that's out there I don't I don't think it's beneficial. My my partner's also a trainer and his previous role, they worked with clients with back pain and they were all just like post F-45 clients who had trained there for ages and were like, Oh wow, I learned that deadlifting poorly or whatever it is is just not good for me in the long term. Like it's just you have to be smart about your training and The thing about it is as a trainer or a yoga teacher, you have to be willing to not be liked because the people, if you just give them what they want, they're going to end up injured. And you kind of need to come into that place where you educate people on what's appropriate and what's necessary and the purpose and obviously understanding people's goals. But just like I'm sure you've experienced or read, like if you get rich, that's not the the trick to a satisfying life. And if you are thin or jacked, that is also not going to create fulfillment or satisfaction. So you could get there and you'll probably find that you're not feeling that way. But so it's helping people, I guess, unpack their goals as well. Like they, when people say, I want to lose 10 pounds, it's like, well, maybe you do, but why? And What's gonna what do you really want is probably to feel at home in your body and comfortable and satisfied and at peace um, which part of that might be unpacking maybe why you've put on this weight or whatever it is but yeah interesting hmm.
0: yeah I so I, I I think it's super interesting because I've been thinking a lot recently about reframing problems and I've like read some good books about that and I was thinking about that for my own health goals because. I've always had some sort of health goal related to, you know, physique and appearance or get down to a certain body fat percentage or whatever else it is. Um, and I've made a lot of progress, but I've never, ever felt like I hit any of them. Right. And so then I was thinking recently, I was like, well, maybe the reframe of this is that I stopped trying to make this goal. And instead I just make myself happy without it rather than always, because I feel like there's been like 10 years of me like, wanting to have this goal and then never quite getting there and like probably objectively making a load of progress but never getting there and I'm like this just seems dumb like if you're doing something for 10 years and you never feel like you actually got it you probably need to reframe it and think about it a bit of a different way
1: yeah and then it also like when you have been working on something for so long it's like if I'm not getting it does it align with my values is it like necessary like for so I um always when I was younger, I struggled with like disordered eating and like distorted body image, and so many young people, and even like our age would, and this industry is not particularly friendly for that, but so for years, I was like, "Oh, if I just had a six pack or if I just had like my life would be complete and i I worked on this goal for so long, and then this obsession just made like it was just why. And then I I don't, for myself personally, don't do any sort of body goals, like nothing about because it creates for me, um, like, I don't know, it's just, it's not good for my mental health. So learning to be comfortable with who I was was the most important thing. And that's what I try and, and teach my, my clients or my students and and. I shift towards more um, like skills and things like that, but also not putting value on the outcome. Like it's still like you still work towards something and the progress, but whether it happens or it doesn't happen is not the point. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's actually one one of the things that. I've shifted to this year in terms of making my own goals, um, not just for fitness, but for everything. It was like, I always had these like outcome goals. And then this year I switched and I'm like, I'm doing input goals. So, you know, instead of being like, oh, I want to be super mobile. I'm like, no, my input goal is like, well, if I do 10 minutes mobility five times a week, like I'm gonna get somewhere, you know? Um, rather than having this output goal, which is either a really hard to measure or be kind of useless because like, what are you going to do with that anyway? Like you can't, you know, on a Monday morning, I can't wake up and be like, I'm going to achieve my mobility goal. Um, today, right. Like you can't do anything about that. Yeah. But I actually, I want to go back to what you were saying though, about, um, how you kind of, I can't remember the exact words that you said, but like made yourself okay with the way you are and let go of having like those body goals and stuff, because, I'm probably going through that process myself and I'm definitely not there because I definitely do still feel a pull to it. So some days I'm okay. And then some days I'm like, no, this is this is what I want. And I'll be like strict with myself around like food or exercise or whatever else. It never feels that great, right? But like, I obviously haven't been able to fully let it go. So what was, was, was there anything that helped with that? Was it just a really long journey? Is there anything you can kind of share with me? It's
1: It's funny because like where... I live or where you lived before you where you live um, this is like the worst place to try to unpack that and work through that because we live in the land of of unrealistic body ideals like it is a little bit of a zoo out there and I think that it, it is challenging to feel comfortable in your own skin when you are surrounded by like all of these supermodel men and women who are like Imperfect um, physique, but um, for me, it's just been a long, a long journey of unpacking and understanding, and just even having open conversations with people. Like a lot of people who look really good, they're still not satisfied with their bodies, which is interesting, of course, because you're you're learning that it's not about the look; it's more about how we feel about ourselves and whether we're living in alignment with our values, you know how we're showing up, how we are, whether we're connected to ourselves or, or disconnected to everyone around us. Yeah. So the process, I think, is really unpacking, you know, what do you like about yourself? What do you dislike? And and not from a physical thing. And this is the thing as well that, like, was a, a journey for me, is that it's okay to, to want to look a particular way or work towards something. There's nothing wrong with that Um, because I used to be a little bit harsh on people who were working on those things because, you know, sometimes you need to be one extreme or the other. I had to, like, separate away from it. But then it made me a bit of an asshole because I was just judging other people. Um, And, yeah, it's okay to want to look good and feel good. And when you eat nutritious food or you train and you get good sleep and you're just generally being a nice person, like, you feel good. And that's, you know, at the end of the day, when you're, if you happen to eat a really poor diet or you don't care for yourself, then you're probably not going to feel that good. So, yeah, but as well, we live in a really privileged area and we're, you know, we have access to so much in terms of how to care for ourselves, whether it be the knowledge or the the capacity to train or whatever it is so it is hard to for everyone to for people who don't have access to it you know there is an inequality between they say the eastern suburbs just because that's where we are um and other people like the, they don't have the resources financially or time or whatever it is so yeah
0: oh, 100% like I find that you know for the last two months i've been driving around australia and all kind of types of towns and villages and um so many places i get to you and like i'm like there's no gym um there's just there's, there's no food options other than like the local pub right um and it's like it's really hard to like to to live kind of a healthy life or whatever if you don't have those stuff in front of you and that's actually one of the reasons that i do like living in Bondi is because okay, on one side you do have the challenge of having all these pretty unrealistic expectations and beautiful people walking around, but on the other hand, it's pretty easy to be healthy. You've got all you know, you've got so many good options like right on your doorstep, which I think is pretty cool.
1: I was just going to say, like, we are a product of of who we spend our time with, and so if we're surrounded by people who care, it is so much easier. Um, and if we're in an environment where people, or say, children, they grow up and they're they're parents don't know or they haven't lived in a world where they care for themselves the, the child doesn't grow up knowing that
0: one 100 i couldn't agree more um so yeah i want to go back a little bit then to your journey so you know you've moved to australia you, you you've been here you've been here for a few years and then you were working in hospitality but then once your kind of visa came through and everything else um you left that behind you right so
1: oh yeah right away <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, at that point, then what, what was kind of your your job situation?
1: So, when I say this to people, they are always surprised, but it doesn't surprise me because I live my life. But my, um I'm always like present in my life. But my biggest thing is lack of like confidence, and um so I went and did another teacher training and another cert three and cert four and PT because I was like, oh yeah, like in case I don't know, and which you know education can always be valuable so I went and redid courses that I've essentially already did already done Um, but I also hadn't worked in the industry in Australia so I just I went back into that and then I started working um at what did I do I went to I did a training with power living in Bondi and then I started running my own yoga classes oh yeah I forgot about all these things started running my own yoga classes in Randwick And then um, one of my – so I practice at Power Living a lot. And one of the teachers there, who she's no longer there. She owns the Bondi Junction Studio. She gave me a spot to teach, which is really cool. So that was the beginning of my journey here. And I was so nervous, like, because as a yoga teacher, there's there's a lot going into it. You put so much energy in. And, again, you're not going to – not everyone is going to be satisfied with your style. Not everyone's going to like what you say. or um, So it just felt like I was just putting my entire self on display. Um, so then I taught there for a little while, and then I went, and there's a studio in Randwick. I taught there, which was really nice for a few years, but they made some changes. Um, so I left about a year ago. And-
0: all yoga or?
1: this was all yoga. Um, and then I, so I teach at a few different studios around Sydney, I worked at a retreat, actually, I don't know if I've ever said this to you, I worked at a retreat center in the Blue Mountains um, for like, I want to say two years, so I spent half my time in Sydney and half my time in the Blue Mountains, so that was really um, beautiful and I learned so much. I got to work with a really wide demographic of people and bodies and, you know, um, for two two years and then that became too much driving back and forth of course like I would stay there so I'd be there say Monday to Wednesday and then in Sydney the rest of the time and then fitness I worked at a gym so I've all, all of these things were always like parallel like half and half um I worked at a gym doing one-on-one training who again I did not align with their values so then okay, I am out and worked at another gym that wasn't too bad for a while and then took a break. Before I came to agoja and just did one-on-one clients, and Agogia was cool because I felt as I aligned with their values, and I really got a good vibe from John you know, prior to coming on board. So it it felt like somewhere I wanted to work, and it's somewhere that has helped me, I think, to to grow and build confidence. And it's been a really, really good journey there. Really good.
0: Yeah. Agoja mm. is how I know, Sam, for people listening. So it's a, <laughs> it's, a it's a gym in Bondi where um, Sam is a coach and I joined probably a little bit over a year ago now. And I'm actually very much missing it now that I'm on the road. Um, but I, I have so many questions. But the first one is, so you're doing kind of the coaching side of things in gyms like Kogosha, as well as the yoga side of things. And, of course, like they're in the same industry. You're still coaching people, running classes. But, like, they do strike me as kind of – quite different things so why do you do both instead of going like all in on one
1: um I have attempted at times to do all of one or all of the other or say mostly and what happens or what happened for me every time that this has occurred is that my personal life and my personal sort of how I feel best is to do both. So if I just practice yoga, I feel physically something missing. And if I just train, I feel mentally and physically like things are missing. And I've found a sweet spot where I've balanced the two movement, just purely talking movement, the movement modalities to help me feel the best that I can in my body. So then this is what kind of made me want to share both. And then I work a lot of one-on-one clients or students, and with them, I do like hybrid. So it's sort of like, okay, you tell me your goals, like what do you want to work on? And some people will say, oh, I want to get stronger, or I want to learn yoga asana, or whatever it is. But it always becomes sort of like, okay, are you a stressed out individual? Maybe we're giving you... um, tools and techniques and and breath work to help you so when you're not stressed out or maybe it's mobility or recovery work or so now i'm really fortunate that i'm i'm busy so i don't take on new clients at the moment which is great and all of my clients um i think have a a trust in me to offer them what i think maybe they need like we work together of course but um i don't have to sit into a particular framework of this has to be this which is kind of cool
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. Um, I think the variety is pretty cool that you can get as well across those different things. Um, so yeah, it it seems like you've so much going on. So like, what does, uh, I'd love to know what a day looks like for you. So I don't know, maybe we could take yesterday or Tuesday. Um, can you talk me through like what that day would actually look like for you?
1: Okay. Um, well, on Tuesday night, I wasn't feeling great. So we'll go with Tuesday because I took yesterday morning off work. So that wouldn't be a typical day. Um, so say, for instance, Tuesday, I teach two classes in the morning at 6 a.m. and 7.30 at a yoga studio in Bandai. So I get up at like 4.50. And then <laughs> I usually get there around 5.30. And I just, I like to be early for things, that even even early in the morning. I just, I need time to like wake up my voice needs time to wake up sometimes when I just like roll out of bed and try and talk there's no voice available to me um so I teach the two classes and they lately have been say like 35 to 40 people in the early one and say 30-ish in the second one so I'm dealing with a lot of dealing with working with teaching to a lot of people right from the get-go and then say for instance. I've been covering one of Emily's clients on Tuesday morning after those classes. And then I usually try and go for a dip and I eat. And then I train gymnastics on Tuesdays. So I go to gymnastics gym in the inner West. Um, And then I would come home and usually I'd have a a couple of hours that would be allocated for, I'm doing some continuing education for yoga. So either that, I'm also doing a mentorship right now for, for fitness training. So I would have that and I run the retreats and the workshops. So within all of those extra tasks, I would allocate them throughout the week. So it'd be like, okay, this block, we're going to do retreat work, or this is mentorship work, or this is etc. And it's just, I have to be good with my time management. And then after that, I would have another client and then I would teach one more class and then I would go to bed. <laughs>
0: Wow, that seems quite a, quite a lot. So you're probably doing quite like five six hours of actual teaching on a day.
1: Yeah, like five to six on most days. So I only work Monday to Friday now, which is rare for this industry. But I, I set some boundaries earlier this year. Um, but yeah, five to six hours of face to face time, and then and those could be those would be spread out throughout the day you know, in an ideal world, I'd work, I don't know, 6am till 12 every day, but that's just not the reality. Like you have to work around people's schedules. You have to just, there's so many factors. Yeah.
0: And do you, cause I would find that a bit challenging, right? That you're kind of working in like blocks of a couple of hours every time. So it feels like I imagine if you've got like a a 6am class and it's, you know, you're doing something with somebody at 6pm, it feels like even if you haven't worked for that whole 12 or 13 hour block, it probably feels like that because, or does it, right?
1: Yes and no. Like, yes and no. So there's benefits to it, right? Like I go to the beach when it's not busy. You know, I have a half an hour in the middle of the day and it's not busy. I go for a swim my grocery shopping, everything that I have to do. Although I started ordering food, so now I don't go to the grocery store, but, um, everything I did that was other people experience on weekends or evenings that are busy takes me way less time. So there's like over the last few years, working with such large volumes of people, I realized that I am a little bit like introverted now in my own time because I spend so much time with people. Like I, I need to recharge like by myself or I'm good at one-on-one or even like two-on-one. I'm not good in big social events anymore. Like I don't, I don't thrive. I don't like it. Um, so yeah, there's, there's benefits to it and there's challenges.
0: Are you, are you naturally introverted?
1: I, I grew up very extra, like I was very social, um, but I was, I've been reflecting on this a lot recently. And I, think, I just think it's because I spend so much time with people that there's only so much to do. Whereas previously, say, for instance, when I worked in hospitality, you'd come across a lot of people, and it would be very interactive, and I've always been very sociable and, and chatty in, in that regard. But there's no personal connection. Like, I don't know anything about these people. I'm just serving them some food and moving on with my life. But in yoga and in fitness... Like you end up being someone's therapist. People people present sides of themselves that are, you see the best sides of people then you see the worst sides of people. And it is, it's is—it's a lot of energy to, to manage. Um, and it's a, you, there's a lot of giving. So um, like my old, say my old business partner that I did the yoga retreats with, before um, we ran retreats, I needed to like go to yoga class and like have a bath and chill. Whereas she recharged by like meeting up with our friends and doing something social. And it's, it's so interesting, like fascinating how we all recharge in a different way. Um, But yeah, I just, so naturally, I don't know. I was very social as a child, but I don't know.
0: Yeah. Because like, I would imagine, you know, if you're running classes, like you have to bring a certain level of energy to it. Right. And, and so I can imagine that's challenging. So if you are, Like, if there's somebody thinking about this and they're like, oh, I might, um, this is an industry that I might want to pursue. I might want to actually be a coach or to be a yoga teacher or whatever else. But, you know, I'm I'm a little bit introverted. I'm a bit quiet. I'm not sure that I can, like, it sounds a bit exhausting to me. Is that maybe a bit of a red flag that it might be something that wouldn't be for them or... Do you think there's other ways that actually people with those kind of personality tendencies can actually still get into this and enjoy it and not be completely zonked at the end of a a day?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's there's so many different avenues in in the industry. Like my preference is one-on-one coaching, but then there's there's value to the groups as well. But there's I can only do so many groups, you know, and I don't do any. Okay. Obviously, I just said the yoga classes are sometimes busy, but especially in fitness, like it's not wildly big in terms of the groups. Um, But yeah, you could go into it and just do one-on-ones, which means it's a very different energy. Like I'm not bouncing around and trying to like get you as an individual client. You obviously keep them inspired and excited. Like, um, yeah, that kind of thing. And for me, the the giving of the energy feels very very like natural and because it's not about me like that's when you come into the role initially you think it's all about you you're like everyone's watching everyone cares and yeah some people are there judging you whatever but for the most part like people are coming for themselves and you move yourself out of the way as a teacher as a coach and it's it's not about me it's about them and it's about creating a space and and all of my energy goes to 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 paying attention to what they're doing and, and how they're receiving. And and there's so many factors, you know, about, about coaching and how to be a good coach or a good teacher or whatever it might be.
0: Yeah. So on that then, what do you think are some of the traits, either learned or natural, that you think makes a good coach?
1: Being caring and empathetic, I think, is a really important thing. So say for me, I really highly value technique and skill and quality of movement and doing things correctly correctly because there's not a it's not black and white about what is correct but then it was understanding as well like you know some people are coming in and they've just worked however many hours and they have families and they're stressed and and I'm not adding value by being so strict with them um I'm putting more on their plate and they can't necessarily have the capacity to process that information, if that makes sense. So it's, for me, it's been learning how to uh, like navigate when, what is appropriate. So it's like, I want people to be safe when they train um, and I want them to be able to have longevity, but if they don't train, there's no longevity. So they need, there needs to be a level of enjoyment so people need to be, yeah, empathetic and caring. Um, I think practice what you preach, but that does like we're we're human and we go through stages. So in everything, like you can't always. If you had, say, a, a professional s- sport or whatever it might be, there's a, a preseason and then there's during the season and postseason, and we can't always be at our absolute best. And I think the the industry is like lift heavy all the time, and I'm like, okay, well just know so as as coaches, you need to have balance in your own life and have have learned um, what balance means for you, which is gonna be different for everybody and um, a continued um, like desire to learn because the industry is always changing, and there's an an ability to i suppose like navigate through the bullshit. Like if you go onto social media, there's so many things that are just absolutely wrong that are posted and I don't again, don't want to be black and white about things, but there are definitely things that are out there that are like that is wrong. Like just wrong. And um so I guess an ability to like think, which is funny. Um yeah, what else do people need? And they need to be patient.
0: I'm interested in the practice, what you preach side of things, because I'm sure there's people who are listening to this and might think, oh, you know, I'd really love to work in this industry, but, you know, I'm not in the best shape and how can I coach others if I'm not in, they won't listen to me because they'll think, well, if they can't do it, then like, why would they be coaching me? I mean, I'm sure that's not the case, right? And that you can be a fantastic coach without being, um, you know, Mr. Olympia, but, Does some of it exist in the industry? Do you ever feel that um, clients are potentially thinking that way about certain coaches or, you know, how much of a barrier or reality do you think that actually is in the industry?
1: Um, Two things. One is that the people who have been out of shape and the people who have, say, in yoga been less mobile, everyone who's had to work towards something they're going to be better coaches because they're going to know what people experience and, and be familiar with the journey. Someone who has only ever been fit and only ever been athletic or only ever been mobile, they miss an opportunity. And that's not a bad thing, but they've just, they miss an opportunity to understand the process of shifting, if that kind of makes sense. Um, and then like, even say for me, when I, Say if I put on a little bit of extra weight and I post a video, a tutorial of something, there will be more engagement if I'm in shape than not. Like people will be, even if I were to put a video, I could, maybe I'll experiment this later. If I were to put a video on with incorrect information, but I made it look more aesthetically pleasing and I positioned my body to be in a particular way, but it was wrong. Like I would get more people like it and engage with it. And then if I did something less visually appealing, I was correct. It would be less, um, people would see less value in it, which is interesting. So I don't know. You have to figure out like what you're, and obviously, yeah, I don't know.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I think it's, um, I mean, that's pretty fucked up, but like it, 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 but it, but I I can I can see it as a reality, right? Like it's just it's just how people a lot of people's brains are going to work, right? They're going to that's how they're going to think. Um, so I can understand that. Um, so on the practical side of things, in terms of what you do, because you know you've been saying you've got one-on-one coaches, you work with um, gyms and um, yoga studios where you teach, but then you also run your own retreats. Like in terms of the practical side of like how you get paid and from where how does that work? Do you just have kind of these multiple sources of income and you're trying to juggle all of them at the one time where, yeah, tell me a bit about how that side of things work.
1: So in uh, general, you as a trainer or coach, most of it is just contract work. So you, it would be very rare that you'd be on a full-time or part-time or like any sort of salary sort of situation. So in the industry, you have no annual leave, you have no sick leave, you have no job security, you have, um, you know, all of these things that are maybe less ideal for things. So, in the pandemic, everything, you know, we all just lost jobs, we lost income, and and there was that was it. Um, but say, for instance, at a go, I work as a permanent part-time role, which is rare. So it's not, um, it's it's great, but it's not the the norm for people and then all of my other work is contract and then my retreats they're like obviously my own business so the hot the more risk you put into something the more potential reward obviously just like in anything
0: yeah yeah totally and then so and then the one-to-one side is just obviously pay per session or pay for a program or whatever else is it um
1: i get my clients to pay up front for I can I keep making them pay for bigger packages. But um but then that's the commitment as well. Because when you're commit like you the two of you, myself and the client, then we both need to be committed to your growth. And it does it's a process. Yeah.
0: Yeah, totally. And so then in terms of um and you know, feel free not to answer this if you don't want, but in terms of like the split of income. Because if somebody's thinking about how do they um if this is a career they wanted to go into and they're thinking about how do I kind of generate income so that I can live the lifestyle that I want to live or whatever else. Um, how does the split of income across those different things add up between say your retreats or your one-to-one coaching or then the stuff that you have with studios and, and gyms?
1: So studios pay very, like very different rates and there's very different splits. I've seen it, um, really low and I've seen it really high. I think the yoga studios that I work for pay a relatively generous amount. They're probably around the top that are on offer.
0: What's the sort of range, like roughly?
1: The studio that I work for, you would make around 80 a session or 80 a class. And it's not 80 an hour because you have to be there before the class and after the class. So that's the, the yoga studio rate. My PT rate, I charge 120 first uh, session and then um the one-on-one group coaching fitness stuff is you don't make quite as much but the expectation it's not quite as long of a window on either side and say for yoga when I teach two classes they have a half hour gap in between so it ends up taking like three three hours three and a half hours to make two hours of pay kind of thing um, but then say for instance, if someone goes to work for like when you start off, you'll probably start at like usually a more of a commercial setting, like say fitness first or virgin, whether it's, you're going into teach group fitness or you're going to do one-on-one coaching. Um, I think the rate is a fair bit less. I think it's something like $45 or maybe it's for 45 minutes. I'm not sure, but I know that it's definitely not as high. And then, um, Gyms, you can either be an employee and then have them pay you a rate, which usually would be a lower rate, but then they would um you'd have guaranteed hours or whatever it might be, like and they'd give you clients, or you could pay rent for a place and then you would just set up your own rate and you just have to. So, again, there's the little bit of risk because you need to pay the rent, um, but then you can charge whatever you want, so like. It's, it can be, it can be lucrative, but it's hard for it to be lucrative because say, you know, there's only so many classes you can teach in a week without being physically burnt out. Like I've been burnt out in this industry a few times and I always have to like cut back and everyone always says to me that all you ever say is that you've just dropped another class. And I'm like, it's true. (laughs) I've just dropped more work. But, um, and when you're getting into it, it kind of seems like you have to just be available all the time. And you're like, how do I... I'm getting paid nothing and I have to be available all hours of the day you're like how do I pay rent um, so if you're if you're looking to transition into the industry but you have a little bit of savings, you're all good um, yeah, and then with say the retreats and stuff you have to build build all that up and get to know people and my um, retreats have been students who I know generally from in person as opposed to online. I think there's a handful of people who have come from seeing it on socials or anything like that. But the majority of people have been from in studio. Um, I don't know if I answered your question.
0: That was exactly it. I was just, cause um, I think there's probably not a whole ton of transparency around, you know, what you can kind of earn from different sources, like especially as you're getting into the industry. So I think that's like super helpful because that would be, a, a, you know, if somebody is say working a corporate nine to five job and they're like, do you know what? I, I just love health and fitness. That's where I want to spend all my time. I want to get into it. They need to make the trade-off of like, you know, can I, will I be able to pay my rent <laughs> or will I be able to sustain this lifestyle? So I think that actually gives them a really good idea. Um, and actually an interesting thing on a different topic is, One of the things that I think sounds cool about the industry is some of the freedom that you have to run stuff like the retreats that you do, right? So there's obviously a flip side of one is, okay, sometimes your day is going to be coming bits and pieces of like hours of coaching and everything else. And also sometimes there's not as ton of security and you don't get sick pay and holiday pay and all that sort of stuff. But the other side of that coin is that you do get a bit more freedom to do stuff like retreats which um i i'm I'm sure are fun right
1: it's it's amazing like i you know that's all the kind of negative stuff before about the the pay and sorry the potential for poor pay and etc like i'm in a pretty good setup with everyone that i work with which is fantastic um but it, it was a little bit of effort to get there but yeah you have so much freedom to create and which is so exciting and cool and so I've just launched um a handstand like a handstand workshop like a four week handstand series and I was just like oh yeah I'll just do this this is fine and then we'll we'll do this retreat and we'll just see what happens and so this retreat that I've upcoming is a new product so it's a new collaboration with my partner like my actual partner and which I've never done before which is yoga and movement and we're just like okay let's just see what happens and see you know what the response is and whether people are curious about it and it's really fun like and I think you know when you read some of the research about our ability to focus and pay attention you can't actually just sit there for eight hours and give good quality work so to work in these smaller blocks I do feel like I'm, I'm more productive and having the capacity to go for a swim between clients or or train and do all this kind of stuff like, I have created a lifestyle that allows me to do all of the things I want to do. Okay, maybe not all of them, but lots. <laughs> like, I'm very privileged, let's say. I, can, I get to do a lot of the stuff that I want to do every day. But I have to do a lot of the work that maybe I don't want to do. But that creates that.
0: Sure. And is that something that you, like, consciously created and like work towards and to have that ability to be able to do the things that you want to do every day?
1: Yeah. Um, I think initially when you move into the industry, what happens is that, and this is obviously who knows everyone's experience is their own, but I've spoken to a lot of people where this has happened. You move into the industry and all of a sudden there's not actually time for your own training or there's not time for your own practice just because you're spending so much time in these environments and, and I don't know, you don't want to necessarily go back, but so I figured out, um, say for instance, I joined a a gymnastics gym, which is outside of my training, like where I train here, where I know people. So I go and I'm completely a student and I get to learn and I get to, um, just be a client or a student and I'm not, there's no expectation for me to, to offer anything. So, that was a really w- cool way to carve it out and make sure that I prioritized it. Also, think if you invest in something financially, usually we like value it a little bit more. So I'm like, okay, this is cost me a little bit more than I could just train for free at the gyms that I work at. Um, I pay for this because it adds value. It also helps me to continue to develop and grow. Um, and yeah, you had it's a lot of work to carve to carve out the the routine that you want, but. If you and I probably made it harder than I needed it to. I always like to make everything as difficult as possible, <laughs> not on purpose, but it just happens.
0: I'm also very guilty of that sometimes as well. It's been one of the I, I I learned this question, and it was like, what would this be if it was easy, right? And it sounds like a cheat, um, but I've been trying to do it more and more because I'll take on a project and I'll be like, okay, how do I do this? And suddenly I'll come up with this incredibly difficult plan to execute. And then I'm just like, well, what if it was easy? How would I do it then? And he usually come up with like this really simple answer that is probably absolutely perfect. Um, but you were talking about, you know, when you first get into the industry, you'll probably work in one of these. Oh, it's quite often that you'll work in a bigger gym. You know, the fitness first of this world, um, and then you can kind of work your way up. So, what does that kind of like progression path look like from there through to? whatever is next and then long-term like what is it that kind of people in the industry you know might aspire to do um longer term
1: i think it's really cool because you'll have people who can branch out into a variety of things like some people might just be you know really content to continue to work with one-on-ones for to the end of time um some people want to go in and Coach either coaches or train teachers, depending on talking yoga or fitness. But that would be a progression is to to learn or help um, people to grow in the industry, and then you can as well. So much stuff is moving online, um, so you can scale. Which obviously, because you can only be one person, and you can only be so many places in actual time at once. Um, moving online to whether it be to offer one-on-one coaching or group coaching or programs that people can buy or retreats or people will manage facilities or you could manage people you could say for instance if i had too many clients and i wanted to hire a trainer to train my clients and then give them a, a cut of that so there's there's ways to grow and develop and you could be as creative as you want just which is quite cool um and it depends like you're trying to find that balance of, okay, I need to be financially secure in order to even be in a place where I could be creative. Like if you f- have any sort of scarcity, if it's a, a challenge to pay bills or things like that, you're not going to be in a thriving position mentally. You're not going to be creative. So you need to figure out what is a baseline financially? How do you earn that like across whatever it is? And obviously my setup is a little bit different because I hybrid all these various things. And then once you feel comfortable, then it's like, okay, what can I do now? Like, how can I explore? And what what brings me um, joy or what helps me to grow? And for me, it's often like, what's scary? Like, what, what do I want to do? But I'm a bit afraid of it because it could be hard or it could fail. So that kind of stuff. So I'm like, okay, what's the next thing?
0: So, so what is the next thing? What's What are you afraid of at the minute that you want to try?
1: Um, I had, um, one of my teachers, like the, my yoga teacher, my mentor, or just someone who I've been learning from over the last couple of years come to my class last week. And I was so nervous. I was very, very nervous. And I was like, oh my God, I did such a bad job. Nothing was, nothing worked. It was just, I thought it was such a disaster. I'm actually going to meet with her today. To discuss all the the options, and I don't know how that went. So hmm, I'll keep you in the loop. But um, so that was scary for me. Like, which is funny that that like even just saying it out loud, you're like, it's so funny that that's scary. Like have someone come and watch and um, or participate in. And the retreat is scary. I'm just I'm doing um, a teacher training. Right now so that I can eventually teach teachers and and run workshops and stuff like that I want to run an international retreat so that'll be I think 2024 which is again it's big and it's like it's cool it's really fun but um yeah I don't know and maybe like create something online
0: it's it's very cool like the the potential options or paths that right are out there because I, th- I think that's such a benefit of any job is any job that gives you lots of optionality and like potential routes to go down in the path as you figure stuff out. And like, oh, I like more of this. I want to do more of that. Or maybe I'll try something over here. And like, if you have those options open to you, I think that's like, that's so cool. If somebody's listened to this and they said, um, this is something that I'm interested in. I might want to see if actually I want to work in this industry. Like, what would you tell them to do first to both A, figure out if it's something they really want and then b if it is what they want like what's the kind of the first step is it education or is it something else
1: i think um one thing would be to really consider which part of the industry you want to work in um like you can work in olympic lifting you can work with the general population you could work with um young people or elderly which those are two populations that need more attention um the kind of gen pop is pretty saturated in terms of of clients um you might want to work in a rehab setting you might want to um work more in a like there's so many and you might be like I just want to be an f45 coach I don't know you could like there's and there's nothing like wrong so think about what you value and then who you want to help like you know I always think about it is the purpose for me of, of working in these industries is I want to help improve the quality of people's lives and I, who everyone that I interact with, to some degree, I want to make some sort of impact. Whether that's helping them to think about their quality of movement or their sleep, or just something, I want to make an impact. And um, it, part of it is what interests you. So if you think about you know the, the things that interest you, so then you figure out you can just research like areas that exist or businesses that exist that might work in that particular thing, like maybe like and say everyone wants to work with athletes but that's it's hard to work with athletes but you you can go learn about that kind of thing so it's um figuring out what you want to do and then maybe even just having a chat like if you had a coach say for instance you were like training with a particular coach whether you had a PT or a group fitness coach or a yoga teacher is just go out for coffee with them and have a chat about that experience because they're all they're all really different um, and then it's a lot of just like any industry a lot of it is is relationship built so you can your skills will get you so far like there's there a lot of its people skills and your ability to to make people feel welcome and valued I am um, this happens a lot in training um, client or trainers just get they don't pay attention to what the clients are doing. They don't give them their attention. I I've been training this guy at the park um, once a week, and I watch the other trainers there. They're just like on their phone the whole time. They are not paying attention to what, they, and they just are clearly just like not present. And and that happens in life. Like, you know, we get distracted, and it doesn't mean that they're bad trainers. They might be having a bad day or or whatever. But um, like, pay attention to the people. Like, you got to think about that. You don't go into this to get financially, like, it's not the most lucrative career. You do, (laughs) there's other things that you can do to make more money, um, to help people. So yeah, go chat, have a chat with whoever, like whatever industry, part of the industry interests you. And then you have to go do like a cert three, a cert three for group fitness and a cert four for PT. Um, and then continuing education, like The body is so complex. We are all so very different. Our modern lifestyle is awful for the body. (laughs) So figuring out, um, just learning, and and it doesn't have to be like education that is, um, you don't have to always go to certifications. You can just learn constantly, learn. I always find being in an environment where there's people who are always, have more knowledge than I do in something. I, n- I never want to be the most educated or the most senior in an environment that I work in. I always want to have people that are smarter than me or know more, or have more experience, so that I can grow from them.
0: I think that's really good advice for anybody, no matter what kind of industry that they're that they're that they're in. Um, okay, I've got a couple more questions um, just before we finish up. Um, so if there's somebody listening to this and they have no idea what they want to do, so th- they don't know if they want to work in um, health and fitness or anything else. Do you have any thoughts for them on how they can figure out what they want to do? And the reason I ask is because it seems like I could be wrong. I don't know. It seems like you found something that you really enjoy and that you've kind of been able to craft a life around it that you get a lot of happiness from as well. So I guess maybe, maybe you were just lucky and you, know, you kind of fell into something that you really love, but, um, but maybe not, I don't know. But yeah, if somebody's trying to figure out what it is that they might like, do you have any advice for them, books to read, things to do to help them on that journey?
1: I think the, the biggest thing is to pay attention to what brings you joy. Like we, and I think sometimes as well, we, we don't answer those questions to ourselves honestly about whether we're feeling satisfied or fulfilled. We kind of like brush it off. And, you know, I think a lot of people are not thriving in their happiness levels. And it doesn't, doing something that you're passionate or 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 is your purpose or your, what you're connected to doesn't mean that you get to do the things you like all day, every day. Um, there's parts of working in any industry, even if it's one you love, where there's those challenges. So pay attention to what brings you joy. So like, say for instance, if I wasn't In this industry, I'd I'd probably go work in something like outdoorsy because I also love that, which also kind of fits into the same general realm. But, um, you know, I just think about what makes me happy and then how can I take that and create a career out of it? And it's a bit of luck, a little bit of opportunity, but a lot of preparation and a lot of um, studying and a lot of practice and... It's a bit of everything. Like it's everything, just worked in its own way. Books. Um, what do, did you have? You read Stolen Focus? I just read that one. That was really good.
0: I, I loved it.
1: That was great. Um, and then I listened to the Jay Shetty podcast a lot. Although he just wrote a book about um, relationships, the Eight Rules of Love, and so all of his podcasts have been about relationships lately. Which, I'm it's okay. I like to listen to some of those, but. I prefer other discussions as well. So I haven't been listening to that as much.
0: I quite like him, actually. I, I find him quite good.
1: I love... Yeah, he's so good. I listened to um, him yesterday. Louis, do you know Lewis Howes? Is that the person? His his podcast is like... Uh, I can't remember. Anyways, I'll tell you. But that was a really good discussion yesterday. And yeah, that's it. And, and one of the things as well, like being disciplined in whatever it is that you're doing to create this like I have I have a fair bit of discipline I have a a routine and I have and these things give me the they're like the the scaffolding the structure for me to fit all of this in so um yeah discipline I feel like is really underrated and undervalued
0: <laughs> mm, that's a that's actually a very good point um and I love your advice around Thinking about what actually brings you joy because it sounds like super simple, right? But I think the hard thing is what you said about being really honest, being really honest with yourself. And I think that's hard because, especially if you're doing something that you're not particularly happy in, your mind's kind of in a self defense mechanism where it's like, I can't admit that I really don't like this because if I do, then I have to admit myself that every day I'm waking up and going to something that I really don't like, which is super bleak, right? So it's actually quite hard to to answer that question honestly we yeah like weirdly one of the goals um or things that i kind of want to do this year is to ask myself hard questions the ones that i don't want to answer and to try and answer them as honestly as possible and like even writing that down when i wrote it down at the start of the year it was like the most confronting thing because straight away you realize all these hard questions that are sitting in the back of your mind, but like your mind's like, don't bring them up because you bring them up, you're opening up a whole can of worms. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think that's really great advice.
1: This year for me, it was like looking at things that were scary to me. It was like, what, what am I, what's fearful to me or what am I afraid of? And unpacking all of the, trying to understand my relationship with things that I'm scared of and fear and, and learn to not be afraid of those things anymore. So that's my, that's my this year program project.
0: Okay. Last question before we finish up. So if we were to sit down again in five years time and you were to go, Steven, the last five years, they've just been amazing. I couldn't even have dreamed how good they have been. What is it that you think would have happened over those five years? If,
1: If everything went in the way that I could control or, I would love to own like a retreat center somewhere really cool in like Costa Rica or like, you know, somewhere epic ocean, oceanfront if I'm being really you know, particular and, um, and have a, a business where I can run wellness retreats and whether it be that I solely run them or I let people hire the space and, and then live there ish and be able to impact people's lives in that capacity and then have the freedom to, you know, move and visit my family in Canada and be here. And yeah. And that kind of thing. But I think that would probably be that as well as run teacher trainings. And yeah, it's funny. I just, I don't, yeah, that, that would probably be very, very happy. I'd be very happy with that.
0: Sounds pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty good. I'm not going to lie. Uh, well, sign me off. I'm I'm keen for a trip to Costa Rica. So, you know.
1: <laughs> Excellent. Just um keep, keep finding investors and then we'll be good.
0: <laughs> exactly. Well, listen, um, thanks so much for doing this. I, I, it's interesting you talk about like you clearly find so much joy and purpose in like helping people and improving their lives a little bit. I can genuinely say that you've done that for me. Um I'm I've loved training in a goja for the last year and a bit, but then more specifically, I think on the mobility side of things, I'm now finally at a point where I'm making progress with it. So I'm a couple months into it. So I'm like doing a lot of the exercises and kind of the routines that um you know that you would have showed me in that kind of spare time after class, and like I really, really appreciate that. So I can definitely uh tick the box for you of like one person at the very, very least. I'm sure there's dozens hundreds more that fall in the same category but like 100 percent. well sam thank you so much i really really appreciate it have a fantastic day thanks so i really hope you enjoyed that chat that i just had with sam there was a few things that i took away from it that i thought were super helpful the first one was when you're trying to find out what you want to do just ask yourself the question where do i find joy but What you need to do is be really, really honest with yourself when answering it. It's super easy to kind of give yourself an easy out and not really tackle what it is that you actually find joy in and whether if what you're doing for work does really bring you joy. So ask yourself that question, be honest with yourself and see what you come up with. The second thing that I found really interesting was about Sam's ability to be creative in her role. And so that wasn't something that when I thought about people being a coach or a yoga teacher, I wasn't thinking that they would have a whole lot of freedom to be creative. But Sam has crafted that into her job and into her life. And it reminds me of this cool concept that I've learned about recently, which is instead of trying to always look for the perfect job, think about how can you make your job perfect? Because there's things that you might want from your career, from your life, that don't always require you to have to throw out your current job and go find a new one. If you want to be creative, well, can you bring more creativity into the job that you're doing right now? If you want to help people more, can you do that in your current job by mentoring people or coaching people or whatever else it is, rather than having to go and find a job that's purely based around helping people? So I really like that idea about how she's able to bring creativity into her job and her life. It was also really interesting to just hear about the practicalities and the structure of the industry, um, especially around the different types of jobs that you can have and that most of it is contract work, but sometimes you can get some um, permanent contracts as well. And what you can get paid at each of those different stages was very interesting for me to learn as well. And I'm sure it's going to be interesting for anybody who is actually considering this industry. One thing to keep in mind, this is Australia. All the numbers that she talks about are in Australian dollars and relative to Australian um, cost of living. So just keep that in mind. And then the final point that I thought was very interesting was the optionality that she has in her job. So when we talked about the potential paths that she could go down in the future or that somebody in her position could go down. There was lots of them. You you can work with athletes. You can start your own gym. You can do your online coaching, or you can actually manage others. You can manage a gym. So there's all these different paths. And I think that's really interesting for somebody who's considering this career to think that there are so many different paths that you can take within this very, very large industry, but also for any other industry, any choice that increases your optionality, increases the amount of potential paths that you could go down in the future is often a good one because who knows what you're going to like in three years, in five years, and 10 years. And so if you're stuck between two choices and you can't pick and everything else seems equal between the two, but one is going to create a lot more optionality and choices for you down the line, and that's probably going to be the better option. So. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you found it helpful. Let me know. As I said, follow me on Instagram at Two tworoadspod and let me know who or what you want to hear on the show next. Send me a DM. It'd be really, really helpful for me because I just want to get the people on who are going to be most helpful um, and most interesting to the people who actually listen to the show, which is you, especially if you've made it this far, you're far, over an hour after listening to my voice. So um, thank you for that. But yeah. Hit me up, let me know who you'd like to hear on the show and I'll do my best to get them on. See you next time.